Left. Right. You certainly lucked out. You're in the right place at the right time. Tonight we are talking about accounting. More specifically, we're talking about how to do your taxes and things to look out for, common tax questions. So, I think uh, you'll enjoy this one as everybody should and probably has to do their taxes. Uh, it's a bit dry because uh, we are talking about taxes. But uh, listen on, let us know your questions in the comments, and uh, I'll see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. All right, all right. Welcome, everyone, to Sip Talk. This is episode 167. My name is Justin DeGiulio, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional referee, a bartender, and most exciting of all, especially for today, an accountant. James, nice to have you. Uh, bear with it's me. It's good to be here. We got this new setup, so that's going to be, uh, it's going to take a little getting used to tonight. So you're uh, out of the basement. I'm in the basement still. I told you I was, I was redoing the basement, so got this nice new space over here. I had to free up some space because I'm working on building a bar over there. So uh, you going to have an actual bar sink for it? I have the I have the plumbing, I have the hot, the cold. Uh, I'm working on the drainage, but there is a drain pipe here. I just I don't know that much about plumbing, so that's that's kind of the next learning step for me. Um, but also, I don't know much about audio audio setup here for this podcast. So it works a lot like plumbing. <laughs> um, a little more electrical current. So look, so I got the new setup. I hope I hope uh, really hoping it goes smoothly, but we. Uh, we want to talk about taxes today. I think it's not too premature ever to be talking about taxes. But before we get into uh, the fun stuff, uh, what are you drinking down there? Same thing as always, going with the bush ice tonight, keeping it, keeping it light. All right. Well, as always, we invite you guys to join us with a drink. Bring your questions, bring your, uh, your criticism, and uh, show Lisa's us. Lisa's liking the new setup. Yeah, I think it works better if I actually have a physical guest. But now that I live in New Jersey, I don't know. Well, um, when you don't have a guest, you can just put like a blow-up doll or something there. I could do that, or I could I could figure out some way to rig the camera closer to me. So if you guys are just listening, there's an empty seat next to me, perfectly in frame. There's no guest yet. But one of these days, I'll start getting some guests. And uh, when I have some more time to work out the uh, the layout, maybe I'll bring this camera a little bit closer. Uh, so today, while I was preparing the physical setup, I was preparing some tax questions because, uh, that's the topic. So tell me what is leading us. So this is your idea. Basically you, uh, you gave me the idea. Um, why are we talking about taxes today of all days? Well, there was a big news story that dropped yesterday that Trump's accounting firm for, as I, I don't know how long, at least 10 years, um, dropped him as a client yesterday, and they did so in pretty public fashion. And in the accounting world, um, pretty much any accounting firm isn't looking for publicity or the spotlight. Um, it's just not the way that the industry works. So and this, so, is, this is pretty exciting news then in the accounting world. I don't, so, I don't know of much accounting news. No, yeah, there's not very often that you'll find accounting news as either news or headlines or exciting. Like, the last time I can think of, like, a big accounting score, like, would have been, like, there's every once in a while you'll hear about some kind of fraud. Like, there was this German company two or three years ago that um, the auditors basically said, we can't find two or four billion euros worth of stuff. And that company's stock dropped like ninety five percent in a day. Nice. Um, so are there are there public? Well, yeah, there's got to be publicly held accounting firms. Yeah, I'm not aware. I think because like the big four, I'm pretty sure are all privately held. And that's gonna be like Price Waterhouse Cooper, Ernst and Young, um, KPMG, and Deloitte, and all of them. If you if 
they they're the ones that do the auditing for all the publicly traded companies in the United States. There's a few publicly traded companies that aren't audited by one of those four, but between those four companies, they audit probably ninety to ninety-seven percent of all private, the publicly traded companies. And the but but those are privately held companies. The accounting firms are private. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I guess they really don't need any investor income. They don't need to be publicly traded. It's not going to do them any good. No, they make money. plenty of money. Yeah. Uh, cool. Because they so, don't do they don't do just auditing. They also do the tax services. They do business consulting. They do all sorts of business services that that you can do. And like a lot of times, if they're doing auditing, they're not allowed to do anything besides that because of a conflict of interest. Well, that yeah, that would make sense. But, so a lot of times you'll have like one for like KPMG will be the auditor, and then Deloitte will do the tax services, or vice versa, or whatever. Switch them up however you want. Well, I'm I'm certain they're making money hand over fist. Oh yeah. Uh, um, all right. So look, I want to get into well, actually, well, I want to talk about what's going on with the Trump thing because what what a lot of people were seeing is like a lot of takes that I was seeing was how is it that they all of the sudden just decide to drop Trump, drop Trump as a client, and what what could possibly have been the reason for it, and why weren't they aware that Trump was allegedly committing all this fraud, and the, a lot of people think that this accounting firm was working hand in hand with Trump to perpetrate this alleged fraud. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. It's entirely possible that they were, but I think it's unlikely. And the reason is, like, so, so hold up. So, so they, so it's big news when Trump's accounting firm drops him as a client. Yeah. Right. So, and and it's it's big news because it hits all the major news publications, and then it gets eaten up because we don't know we don't know why it happened. But we know a little bit. We can speculate. Well, share that with me in a minute, because I, I just heard it very briefly on the news this morning. I was driving in. I've been trying not to listen to much news, so I'm not really paying much attention. But I heard about it. And, you know, to me and probably everybody else that was listening for the headlines, we just assumed that, you know, Trump was doing some shady stuff and, and they didn't want to be involved in it, uh, you know, or they had done some shady stuff and finally cleared themselves. And now they're just like, all right, we're out of that mess. Let's just move on and drop this guy. Well, so that's a possibility. Is that for they've probably one one idea is that they've been looking for an excuse to drop Trump as a client for a while, because accounting firms don't like having risky or problematic cl clients, and Trump organizations about as risky and problematic as they come. Um, and so, people were asking, how could they have not been aware of this fraud? And the answer is that they weren't engaged to audit Trump's work. They weren't the auditors. Um, I'm not aware of whether or not Trump's organizations were audited at all. I would have to assume that they were, and the reason for that is he had a ton of debt, and anytime you have debt it, like above a certain amount, the banks are going to usually require financials from you every single year with an auditor's opinion because they want to make sure that you have enough money to be able to pay back the loan and they're not going to believe your own books they want somebody else to verify that for you so i'd be surprised if the trump org wasn't audited but they were definitely not audited by mazars which is the firm that he used for his financial statement preparation and his taxes and the thing is because they weren't hired as auditors they were probably on what's called a compilation um, engagement, which means that the Trump organization would send them financial data and then say, put that together into financial statements. And so Mazars wouldn't really have much of a duty to ask and say, like, hey, these numbers are a little bit off or something, um, or we don't think that you actually have this much money in real estate or anything like that. They didn't have the duty because they weren't because they weren't auditing on the front page of their report. It would said, "Hey, we didn't audit these figures, so like they're they're provided to us by management." Yeah, we're just arranging the, the numbers that he's giving us. So that, yeah, we're putting together all the numbers into a a standardized format, and then we're putting all the the disclosure notes to explain where things are and what they mean and everything. 
but ultimately management's responsible for this. And it's the exact same thing with the tax return is you give your numbers to your accountant and your accountant really only has a duty to like inform you of what the laws are and ask some reasonable questions about data. But at the end of the day, if you give your accountant some numbers and say, this is what I want you to put on the return, if you're the accountant, all you really need to do is document that that was the request that was made of you and say, these numbers came from the client. And then if you ever get sued or audited or like criminally charged, as long as you can show that you advise the client, then you're very likely to escape any penalties. So that's what happened yeah. with Mazars. And, and them disclaiming the financials, because that's what this is. It's a disclaimer. It's basically saying, we don't, we don't think that these are reliable at all. Um, oh, and, well, okay. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this part, actually. Yeah, they so. actually say the past 10 years of financials should not be relied upon. And I think that they finally, with the New York Attorney General um, putting out information in their investigation, Mazars finally had cover to say, you know what, we, we can walk away from this one and keep our reputation. Well, you know, my thinking was that they haven't done so earlier on because even though he's a high-risk client because, you know, who knows what, the, what numbers he's given them, they hadn't done it because maybe there was something tying them or maybe there was some legal reason holding them to him or they just wanted to get everything straightened out so everything was accounted for, every penny, everything was lined up. And, uh, and then they said, all right, it is what it is. This is as transparent as it is. We were able to get enough puzzle pieces to put everything together in full, and we're going to move on, cut you as a client. But we've, we've kept the client relationship open thus far so we could get everything lined up. And that way, if somebody comes after us, we can say, hey, it is what it is, and we're yeah. out. Because one other thing that's really important to note is, like, if the Trump organization has internal financials that are whatever, they could send another set of financials to Mazars and say, hey, here are the books. And if they don't match up with what the Trump organization internally actually has, like, Mazars would have a really hard time to, to detect that. It would be virtually impossible. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I get that. I want to I want to transition into a bit more personal tax questions. Uh, I do realize that we dropped the Instagram feed. I'm going to try real quick in a second to get that back on. Yeah. Might just, might but if anybody has any questions about it, because I want to address some common misconceptions, because I see them all the time, and some of them are, some of them I don't understand where they come from, and some of them I think are fair are fair gripes or questions that if you don't know what what you're doing you could reasonably think that way. But yeah, the for for an accounting firm to publicly cut ties with the client like that and basically say, "Hey, even though we were on this low level engagement, we still don't think it's reliable." That's really big news. Because we even even in the reports before we thought that like the stuff that we were putting out was reliable, we still said like, "Hey, it's not audited, so like it might not be correct." We're going a step further and saying, "We don't even think that's right." Yeah, it's so it's it's definitely not a good look. I have I have no doubt that um, that there's some shady stuff going on there somewhere. I mean, it's a big business organization, so you know people cut corners all the time, and I can only imagine with what the Trump organization has going on, there's a lot more than that happening. Um, plus, you know, Trump is uh, notorious for not paying not paying people and paying them late and things like that so this is these are the guys that are doing his accounting so i'm sure he probably paid them um well you would, things... you would think that he you, you would think but you'd be surprised i know a lot of people yeah. in the real estate world that um that have been stiffed by by trump so because yeah. I, I i don't know on a different thread i read something and somebody said the two people in the world that you do not lie to are your lawyer and your accountant yeah, well, his attorney is in jail, so yeah, um, we'll see. And I think the maybe the accounting firm uh, wanted to get out from underneath of this one quick enough. 
so it looks like we're back on Instagram, but anybody who has any accounting questions, that's what we're going to cover next. I want to, I want to get into some more of the personal accounting questions because that's what most people care about. Most people are sick of Donald Trump and they're sick of coronavirus. So yeah. you'd be surprised. Every, every time I turn on the radio, they're talking about coronavirus and there's still a lot of people that are not sick of Donald Trump. So yeah, it gets ratings. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, so what are some notes or questions that you got? Well, um, I, I actually got a, a few uh, since we started with this topic. Let's let's just cover first. Uh, do you know the due date for taxes this year? Uh, it's April 15th, but if it falls on a weekend, then it's the next um, weekday after the 15th. Uh, I, I was so double check this, but I was under the impression that for this year as well, taxes were were delayed just like last year. Um, I haven't seen any buzz about that yet, um, but I can look. I know last year it was April 17th. They gave an extra month plus the rounding. Um, 2022 personal, 2021 personal tax filing deadline. What do you got there? April 18th. April 18th. Uh, your taxes are due this year. April 18th. Okay, so what happens if you don't file taxes, let's say your standard W-2 employee, what happens when you don't file taxes? So if you don't file your, your return, um, chances are, well, if you, it depends on whether you owe money or you are due a refund. Well, and, so, that's, and that's why I said your, your standard W-2 person, most W-2 employees who get regular hourly or salary, uh, most of these guys get tax refunds. Not all of them, but... Yeah. So if you don't file a return and you're due a refund of any amount, then you, you just aren't going to get that refund. What if you filed three years later for it? Um, if you... I don't remember the rule on this, but... In terms of how many years can go by before you can claim a refund, it might actually be three years. It might be three calendar years. Um, so if you have back taxes, like let's say you haven't filed for 2019 for some reason, you should still be able to file your 2019 taxes and claim a refund if you're if you're due one. Um, so there's not really any criminal or civil penalties your refund won't be reduced if you file your taxes and depending on the amount of the refund you might actually get a little bit of interest on that refund paid back to you but it's it's nominal it's you're not gonna it's not like you're gonna be making money hand over fist on the interest on your refund due from the irs and what happens then if you file late so if you were due a refund and you file late um there really isn't any penalty. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't file on time. You should. And if you can't file on time, file an extension. The extension is extremely easy to do. Um, form 4868. And it's something that even if you don't know taxes, you can look at the form 4868 and fill it out correctly. It's the one of the easiest forms to fill out. So, yeah. So, so point being, if, if you're going to be late, file a, a tax extension. You get but six more months. So I imagine then if you... And you don't, don't, it doesn't cost you anything to file an extension, and you won't be charged anything for filing the extension. But if you don't file an extension, then... If you do a refund and you don't... If you do a refund, you don't file an extension, and you file your tax return late, nothing really happens. You, you'll get the same refund that you would have been due if you had filed them on time. Where it gets more complicated is if you have a balance due. If you owe money in tax and you file late. That's where problems start to pile up. What what types of problems? What's the most common problem there? Well, for one, there there's three pay, there's three penalties at play here. The first is the failure to file. So for every month that you don't file, you're going to be assessed a penalty. Um, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head because my software programs it for me. It's something that I should know off the top of my head. But there's a failure to file penalty, and I'll look these up in a second. Um, and that's going to be assessed based on, it's going to be a percentage of your tax due. So if you owed a thousand bucks, it's going to be a percentage of that thousand dollars. So the more you owe, the more you're going to owe in this penalty. So the next one is going to be late payment of 
of tax. So since you didn't file on time, it means you also didn't pay your tax on time. So you're going to get a late payment penalty, and that's also based as a percentage of your total balance due. And then the last one is underpayment of estimated tax, and that depends on how much tax you paid in the prior year and how close that was to how much you actually owed. So you might not get hit with an underpayment penalty. That all depends on if you have a balance due of 1000 If your total tax was 10000 and you paid in 9000 you're going to be okay. But if your total tax was 20000 and you only paid in 10000 and you owe 10000 now, you're going to get hit with an underpayment penalty. And the underpayment penalty is going to happen kind of no matter what, but there are steps you can take to minimize that, even if you get up to tax time. Um, so, okay. Okay. Uh, so let's see. What now? All right. So the late filing penalty is four it is 5% of the tax um, owed per month up to 25%. So the late filing penalty could jack your tax bill by another 25%. Um, wow. Just because you That's... didn't file. So if you owed ten thousand bucks and owe you file a month late, now you owe ten thousand five hundred. And that's be like, and that, it's off. It's based off your total tax responsibility. But not. Oh wait, it's it's based off the twenty thousand. The, the twenty thousand. Um, no tax amount owed. I'm sorry. I'm okay, wrong on that. I would have assumed it would have been the. Yeah, amount owed. it's off the total amount that you owe. So if you if you owed $20,000 and you had 10,000 in payments during the year. So you owe 20,000 as of filing deadline. Then it's going to be 5% of that 10,000 up to 25%. So you could owe 12,500 on a $10,000 balance after 5 months. Uh, yeah, so up to 25% of the max. Yep. But 25% is still a, a yeah. huge amount. That's I didn't I didn't realize that, but Oh, and then there's la the last one that I forgot. All right, so the failure to pay penalty, so that's the late payment, is 0.5% of the tax due for each month or part of the month up to 25%. So that one ramps up a lot slower, but it's still a penalty. And then you also have to pay the IRS interest on your balance. And the interest is usually in like the 5 to 6% range, but they change it every year based on inflation and other things. So you're going to have to pay interest on your on on your balance due and the penalties that you're accruing you like those are going to start accruing interest too nice fun, so fun the penalties play. add to your total tax balance and then the interest is calculated as the last step so you i mean i could see how it could be a slippery slope and people can get in a lot of trouble over their taxes you know relatively quickly just with with some ignorance and and a bit of apathy and, and all of a sudden they turn around a year or two later and they find out they owe so if you file the extension you give yourself six months reprieve from the failure to file penalty and i find i find accountants tend to be pretty stressed during tax season but if you file an extension and hit them up and you know june or august or something they're usually a bit more free they middle of the summer tax. is probably one of the quieter times for accounting firms because they've gotten through the tax season rush and now they're cleaning up the extensions and stuff but like september and october are bad because that's all the people that wait until september <laughs> october to get their like extended taxes filed so yeah like if you need to extend in april and then deal with like a, a lower stress period of time june and july are a good time to get your documents into a tax preparer yeah, it's uh, it's it, uh, September October are the same as as April as mm -hmm. far as far as that's concerned. They, they're they're lighter, but it's still like there's this big crunch. And the difference with September October is there's no extensions anymore. No, and I imagine those people are probably more desperate and and likely more complicated, which is why they filed for the extension. Sometimes more complicated, more often less organized. Uh, so if you guys are watching live on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and you guys have questions on tax stuff, throw it in the chat. We'd love to hear your questions. I got a handful of questions I got a little before the cast. We keep we keep losing this Instagram streams. So if you see me continuing to get up, I'm just trying to keep it keep it live and active. Um, so next question. If you're retired, do you need to file taxes? Uh, it depends on if your income is above the standard deduction for the year. And what is a standard deduction? So the standard I have another question. The, the, yeah, so when it comes to deductions, you can either have a standard deduction or itemized deductions. So the standard deduction is going to be based on 
well, it's got a flat rate for like individuals, and I think this year it's probably like twelve six or like thirteen two. Um, but depending on your filing status, you're so if you're married, then your standard deduction for you and your spouse would be twenty six four. And if you're filing as head of household, so like you're a single parent and you're providing support to a dependent, then it's kind of in the middle. It's probably like 19.5 or 19.8 this year. I don't remember. Like, I don't, these are not numbers that we need to memorize every single year because they change every year. So we're just like, uh. Yeah, and it's done for you. If you're using the tax software on a consumer end, it's done for you. And if you're an accountant or hiring an accountant, that that accountant's tax software is auto updated because you're right a lot of these things do change year to year but a standard deduction is and what's the what's the rationale that they give you a standard deduction like in why, terms of policy well you know so so my one of my follow-up questions was is it better to to itemize or take a standard deduction but then my question within that would be why are they giving so i know that the reason that i can itemize expenses is because the government is saying hey these are expenses you incurred to to run your business that's uh, not itemized deductions so well then then explain that so itemized like if you're if you have business expenses if you run a business those aren't itemized deductions those are business deductions but itemized deductions are a set of qualified expenses that the government allows you to deduct on your tax return. The most common of them are going to be um, mortgage interest, so interest paid on a personal residence, um, a mortgage that you hold there, medical expenses, charitable um, deductions, state and local taxes. Those are like the most common ones. So you can deduct up to $10,000 of state and local taxes paid, so that can either be property taxes on your house or state taxes that were taken out of your paycheck or other state and local taxes that you had to pay. You can take up to $10,000 as a deduction there. Mortgage interest is just whatever you paid as mortgage interest as long as your mortgage balance was below a certain amount. Um, I think it's like a million dollars that you can have as like the mortgage before like the mortgage interest gets limited. Not a million dollars of interest, but a million dollars of principal accruing interest. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it, w- is it better to take the standard deduction or to itemize? Well, it completely depends on what your deductions look like. If you've got enough to itemize your deductions, then you're pr- and, and those are larger than whatever your standard deduction are for the year, then it's better to itemize because you get more deducted off of your taxes. I think the, the policy reason behind a standard deduction is... It's um, a progressive. It's a progressive tax, uh, a, pro- a progressive benefit on your taxes. Where if you made twenty thousand dollars in a year, thirteen thousand two hundred in a standard deduction reduces your income by two thirds. If you made a hundred thousand dollars in a year, thirteen thousand dollars only reduces your by by like thirteen or fifteen percent. Yeah. So the more you earn, the less the standard deduction is worth to you. So it's a way of making it so that the very poorest are not paying all that much tax because they don't have that much money. And as you get more and more income, your likelihood of itemizing deductions goes up because you're but, likely paying more in state tax. You're probably paying more in mortgage interest. But it, but it helps people on the lower income and uh, yeah. or people that just, you know, they could be making a lot of money, but they, don't, they just don't have the deductions. So yeah, you, so if you, you live property, in an apartment... Yeah, if you then, if you rent your property. Yeah, if you rent, then you're not going to have mortgage interest, and there's there's constant fighting about whether allowing um, like rent as an itemized deduction should be allowed because um, that would help a lot of renters. Well, but if you have a home office, that's a something that can be itemized, correct? No. No. No home office. If you have a home office, that means that you must have a business, which means that the home office is a business is a business deduction. What if you're in a 1099? Then you have a business. Okay. All right. So And that goes under the, a separate sheet on the taxes. What's that called? Schedule C. Schedule C. Okay. Schedule so, C, profit or loss from business. So, so yeah, my, if you have a home office, that's going to get deducted on Schedule C. So my next question is, 
and, and a lot of these questions I know the answers to, by the way. I'm just asking them so you can articulate them so anybody listening can 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 get answers on these. Um, but uh, <laughs> I just got called out for grabbing my balls on the camera. That's uh, well, that's you a know, well, I think wait, Rosh predicted it. It's uh, it's it, it is a new camera angle here. So damn, damn it to hell. So we were keeping it pretty pretty professional for a while. I'm wearing, I'm wearing sweatpants and I keep getting up and getting getting back down. I'm screwing the the Instagram uh, video. It's it's going to go off in a second. I just can't keep getting back up. Things are getting tangled up down there, and I you know I'm wearing the sweatpants. I'm I'm trying to. Even though I'm drinking a little scotch, I'm trying to do a workout afterwards because, uh, you know, springtime is right around the corner. Uh, Blombox is asking if I can do their taxes. Um, and you can shoot me a DM. Uh, uh, shoot, shoot Justin a DM and, and take my contact information and we can talk. Uh, uh, James can definitely help you with your taxes, though. Um, I can tell you that. James knows a lot about, a lot about accounting. So next question. The difference, and a lot of people don't even know what these are. Uh, the difference between a W-2, a W-4, a 1099, and a 1040. Okay, so the W-4 is what you fill out when you're being hired, and that's going to be you telling your employer how much you want them to withhold on your paychecks. Um, and then you're based on what you put on the W-4, there's a whole bunch of tax tables that the employer or the payroll servicing company will use to figure out based on your earnings, how much of that should be remitted as tax every single week. Um, so if you want, you can put on your W-4 that you want no withholdings. It's a highly inadvisable strategy, but you can do that. And you can tell your employer not to withhold tax. That doesn't mean you're not going to owe the tax. It just means that you're not having it withheld. You can also have more withholdings. You can have extra withholdings every single pay period to increase the amount that they're sending to the government on your behalf. Um, and then so that's the what end... the W-4 is. It's, you're just saying, Here, here's who I am, here's my social, my filing status, and how much I want you to withhold for me. And you give that to your employer so they can input that into their payroll system. So when they make you checks, it knows what amount to withhold, what amount to pay for taxes, what amount to pay you. That's correct. Okay. So then what is a W-2? So W-4 you give to your employer when you start the job. Yep. And, then and generally you don't have to update it unless you need to. They're, like you fill out the W-4 once and you're done. Well, if you – and what would – good follow-up. What would be some reasons why you would want to update your W-4? Now, I'm guessing marriage. That's uh, one. Moving uh, to a new state or probably yep. moving anywhere. Um, well, they no, gotta, not really, because that's just going to be on a state. That's going to be state um, specific, and so the W four is a federal form. Um, in terms of how much you're having withheld in state taxes, that's not on the W four. Well, sure, but they have to mail you your tax returns at the end of the year. Your employer. Yeah, you don't that, need a W four to change your address and your payroll. Like all you need to do is just tell your employer, like, "Hey, I'm moving to Guam. Um, so here's my new address in Guam. That's where you can send my stuff. You don't need a W four to update your address." Uh, all right, and but then... change in marital status is a big one. Also, change in dependence. If you have kids, then that's something that you might want to adjust on the W four because your withholdings will be a little bit lower. Uh, okay, so so W two is going to be what your employer sends you at the end of the year, and that's going to summarize the total amount that they paid you, the total amount of tax that they withheld from you. Um, and then the same thing for the state, it would also say you worked in South Carolina and we withheld $5,000 in tax from you, so you can file your state return and ask for some of that money back. And then it's also going to have um, certain, certain tax preferred items, so things like your retirement plan or um, gov uh, the company paid health care or HSA plans. Um, it's going to list those out because some of those factor into other calculations, but it'll also d display that. All right. So now, now let's get into the W-2. That's what a W, I just went over the W-2. Oh, so wait, wait, <laughs> back up, back up. So W-4, you give your employer when you get hired and then W-2 is what you get at the end of the year or the, basically after the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And you can take that and you can file that when you file your 1040. 
Right. So the 1040 is your per, is an individual tax return, and that's going to have all the activity that you had that has a that a tax impact. You're going to be reporting that on the various forms, and the 1040 is what you use to calculate your total tax liability. And then you figure out your total tax liability. You subtract the amount that you already paid in, and then you'll have either a balance due from you or due to you from the government. And then you, so you're giving the government. So you give your employer when you start the W two at the, the W four. I'm sorry. When you start the job, you give a W four to your employer. Mm-hmm. After the end of the tax year, your employer issues you a W two. Yes. And and then when you do your taxes, when you file your tax returns, you give the government a 1040. Yep. And that leaves the 1099. So the 1099 is going to, they, they updated the form last year that most people, the 1099 form that they're getting, there's a whole bunch of 1099 forms. You can get, you can have a 1099 div or interest forms for brokerage activities or bank account interest. You can have a 1099B for um, sales of stock or other like long-term capital assets or even short-term capital assets. But you can also, and the one that you're probably referencing is the 1099NEC or non-employer employee compensation. And that's going to be when you work as an independent contractor. So let's say you work for Uber. You're going to be getting a 1099 at the end of the year. That 1099 is going to be the total of all the money that Uber paid you. And that's the amount that Uber is reporting to the government as, hey, we paid Justin $10,000 for driving for Uber. So that means that when you file your return, the government's going to know that you had $10,000 in income from Uber. So you better report it. (laughs) Now, the, the thing about the 1099 is generally there's no tax withheld. So that $10,000 is going to contribute $10,000 to your overall taxable income. And depending on your brackets, $1,000 to $33,000 of tax liability. So, but because there is no tax withheld and because you're not employee compensation, you are functioning as a business. And that is going to be reported on Schedule C of your tax return. Which and we, talk about. we can, as a business, since you are operating with a profit motive, then you get to take deductions for ordinary and necessary expenses as they relate to your business activity. So you got paid $10,000 by Uber. But that 1099 isn't listing the, the $1,500 you spent on gas to drive people around or the portion of your car insurance that went to insuring yourself for Uber, or the tires that you had to replace to keep the car going, all those other things. So you get to deduct those expenses. So you had 10000 in income, but after all your expenses, you might have only had a profit of like three or $4,000. So the Schedule C is where you report those expenses, so that way the government sees the $10,000 in income, but you can reduce the amount that you have to pay tax on by the expenses that you had legitimately legitimately associated with the business. Yeah, that's that's one of the major benefits of being 1099. One of the major drawbacks is that you have to pay the self-employment tax on yourself. Yes. And yeah, and you have to pay unless you unless you're good at estimating your taxes, you have to pay at the end of the year. Yep. Um, and well, you know what? You can I make estimated payments during the year, which, yeah, if you are working primarily on a ten ninety nine basis, is a very good move to do. Yeah, that's that's why I said, you know, unless you're good at estimating them, you uh, you don't even have to be good. Just like even if you pay something, it helps. Well, it it helps with the uh, the end of the year. It also yeah. helps with your underpayment penalty. Interesting. Um, all right, so what's the deal with dependents? How do they help and hurt your taxes? What are they? They used to help a lot more. Um, after, as of 2018 filing season, having dependents doesn't help you terribly outside of qualifying for the child tax credit. How, well, what are dependents? Dependents are... They not, are, are they children? 
So dependent is basically anybody that doesn't have enough income to support themselves and you provide over one half of their support. So if you think you can, kids are the most common type of dependent um, because obviously kids can't support themselves. But you can have adult aged dependents if they don't have if they don't have income above a certain threshold and you're providing support. So if your mother is disabled and living with you and her only income is social security and you're paying and the social security isn't covering more than half of her support. So let's say she needs a whole bunch of medical stuff or wherever. And let's say she has $100,000 a year in medical expenses and her social security is only 25,000 and you're helping out with the other 75,000, she's your dependent. Okay. That's now a qualifying what, relative. Now, what if you have children over the age of 18 in the household? Um, they can be a qualified dependent uh, up to the age of, I believe, 23, as long as they're a full-time college student. Okay. A full-time student, I, and I think the age is 23. Um, but the the thing is, dependents used to be, there used to be a personal exemption. In 20, 2017 and before, there was a personal exemption of about $4,000 per person. Um, that went away in 2018, and they just increased the standard deduction by some amount. But the thing is, dependents don't increase your standard deduction. Um, they, they will allow you to claim head of household if you're the only person taking care of them. But if you're married and your standard deduction is 26.4 and you have zero kids, your standard deduction is 26.4. You got eight kids, your standard deduction is 26.4. Where those kids help you out is with the expanded child tax credit, where depending on the age of the children, you will get a tax credit for each kid that you have. Interesting. Okay. So now, that's where that's where most people realize the benefit of dependence is on the child tax credit. All right. Uh, let's see. Standard itemize. Uh, what if I file late? What in the state? So uh, stimulus checks and cryptocurrency. Do people have to pay on stimulus checks? No. Okay. Which because the IRS is already aware of the stimulus checks. You do not also want to report the stimulus checks as income. No, but you do need to report them in terms of the um, economic recovery credit. So if you didn't get the check last year, so in 2021 filing season, the, the $1,400 check from a year ago, if you didn't receive that, you can claim a credit for that $1,400 on your tax return. Um, and so if you did receive it, you do need to report that you received the $1,400 check. It will not increase your income, and it will not increase your tax. But you still need to report it just so that way you're not claiming a credit that you're not, due, that you're not supposed to receive. It's not like it will cause you to get in trouble, but it will delay the processing of your return. Okay. And just so you, you guys know, the Instagram feed is dead for the night. I can't keep getting up and, and turning <laughs> it back on. It's, and it's just every time I touch it, it, it wobbles. So the next question is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is – are you familiar with how this works on your taxes? Yep. Okay. I'll let you go. I'm letting – most of these I know the answers for again, but coming from you, you are the Well, you are I'll the let you authority. take a whack at this one, and I'll correct you if you get it wrong. So what I read was that they are – like property so if you sell them and you have gains then you pay tax on the gains but if they just exist and this may have changed recently but if you just hold them there's uh there's no tax on them like 90 percent correct okay what am i missing so you need to look at what your basis in the cryptocurrency is so if you are a miner of cryptocurrency, if you're running your computer to mine cryptocurrency, then your basis in that cryptocurrency is, uh, well, actually, if you're mining it, you need to claim that as income. Because, so let's say over the course of a year, I mine one Bitcoin from my machine, right? And let's say that Bitcoin's worth 50000 so I mined one Bitcoin. I need to take. I need to claim fifty thousand dollars worth of income as a business in, as business income, and now my basis 
the like the cost that I paid for that Bitcoin is going to be fifty thousand. I reported it as fifty thousand in income, therefore it's fifty thousand dollars worth to me. Let's say in a year from now, I sell that one Bitcoin for sixty thousand. I don't have to pick up the sixty thousand dollars in tax. I have to pick up the sixty thousand dollars in income, and then I get to deduct the cost that I paid for it, which was fifty. So I have to pay another ten thousand dollars in gain on the sale of that asset. But you let's pay, say, well, you don't pay ten thousand. No, you, you have to pay. Tax, uh, you, you pay. You're gain pay capital tax. gains tax on the ten thousand in income. Yeah. But let's say that Bitcoin's trading at $20,000 next year. So I reported $50,000 in income this year because I didn't pay anything for it. I used my computer to mine it. So I had to take that as income. And then I sell it next year for $20,000. I now have a capital loss of $30,000 that I can use that capital loss against other capital gains if my capital gains weren't 30,000 or more, then I get to take whatever it was plus an additional 3,000 and then the remainder carries over. So if you have capital losses, you can take $3,000 of capital losses every single year and then carry over the balance until it's all used up. Is it only on cryptocurrency or is that? No, that's it's, it, cryptocurrency functions in virtually the same way that stocks do. Okay. Uh, and then, and then Rosh is saying, if you're mining cryptocurrency, you're also paying a hefty amount of electricity costs. So that's true. You can, you can write off electricity costs as yeah. So if you're if you're generating taxable income from mining cryptocurrency, that and you're above the threshold at which you have to report it, then yes, um, the reasonable expenses that you have for operating that business, such as the electricity to run your computer, 100% deductible. Um, all right. And then... Uh... But yeah, so cryptocurrency, it's whatever you paid for it is your basis. And then whatever you sell for it, you pay tax on the difference or you get a deduction for the difference depending on whether you had a gain or a loss. Okay, next question. What happens when you move? If you move, what are you supposed to do? How does this impact your taxes? Uh doesn't really. It's... Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, follow up to that, which is a real question, but I needed you to answer that first question. What if you move out of state? Again, it doesn't really do much. Like, so let's let's say I live in South Carolina this year. Like, I live in South Carolina through June of this year, and then I move to California in July, and so. I'm going to need to tell my employer, hey, I'm moving to California, and they're going to change over which state I'm withholding tax to. So half the year, was, my tax withholdings were South Carolina. Now that I live in California, my tax withholdings are going to be in California. And then you're going to file a return in two different states, and your income is going to be split up between those two different states. And your so, W-2 will state how much you earned in each state. So you're, you need... so. What do you do if you move states? Uh, step one, inform your employer. Although, you know, oftentimes you're taking a new job anyway, so you're just telling the new employer your new address. But if, especially with everybody working remotely, if you move to a new state and you're still able to keep your job, you need to let your employer know so they can update the tax records. Yep. Does that mean you need to fill out a new W-4? Well, if you're with a new employer, you're going to be filling out a new W-4 no matter what. But I'm saying for the same employer. No. Okay. You just you just let them know and they update it. Yeah, yeah. You just shoot an email to whoever handles the payroll and say, "Hey, can you change my address from one two three four South Carolina to four five six seven eight California?" Hmm. Interesting address. Uh, okay. Next question. And this is a this is a good one, I think. Uh, should someone hire an accountant, or should they go the TurboTax, H and R Block? Liberty Tax Professional, Jackson Hewitt, whatever it is, the guys that dress up like the Statue of Liberty and they, they wave the thing out in the street. Should somebody go with one of those services or should they hire a professional accountant? And what's the difference? Well, I would say, first of all, most people don't need either of those services. I would say for most people, first of all, don't use TurboTax. Just don't. Um, there are better services out there. Um, for most people, 
there the you've you got to Google. Defend, you got to you got to defend that statement though. I will in a second. Okay. Um, I would recommend using the IRS free file. Um, if you Google IRS free file, the IRS has a free filing system that allows most people to file their taxes without a fee. Uh, TurboTax is really guilty of making it sound like you can file a free tax return, and then anytime something comes up, they find a way to bill you. Any little deviation from the most simple of 1040s will result in them charging you 20, 50, 100 bucks to file your return. And oftentimes they won't let you know about that until you get like three quarters of the way through and you've already sunk a whole bunch of time putting in the data. And then you're like, all right, great. Now I've done all this work and now you're telling me that I have to pay, but it was supposed to be free. Um, that's, that's, that's very true. I can tell you as somebody who used to, when I had relatively simple tax returns, I was able to do it on TurboTax. But then when you get property ownership or any complexity outside of just you live and you work and you get a W-2, outside of that, using TurboTax is confusing and it, and it can cost you a lot more. Yeah, this, like it's not really all that well designed. And additionally, um, I would say that at my firm, we would get probably five to ten clients per year that needed to help us fix the mess they made for <laughs> themselves on TurboTax. I, I believe that. I believe that. So, um, so when it comes to going with like an H&R block or a Jackson Hewitt style service versus a CPA firm or an enrolled agent that's running their own practice, there's not going to be a huge difference. Um, now, there are some CPA firms that specialize in certain industries. And so if you're in kind of a niche industry or something that has a little bit more complication, then you might want to try and find a CPA firm that caters to your type of business because they're going to have more professional expertise in that area. But um, if you just have taxes that are a little bit more complicated and you need help, um, then there's not going to be a huge difference in, in price or quality between an H&R Block, a Jackson Hewitt, or a public accounting firm. Um, I would probably recommend going with a public accounting firm because I'm biased, and I think that you are going to get more knowledge and expertise from from CPAs than from people that work at a tax prep only place because to become an enrolled agent is far easier than becoming a, a, a CPA. And an enrolled agent can do all the same things that a CPA can on the tax side, but the CPA also requires knowledge of other accounting things outside of tax. So, well, I mean, the way that I think about that is that these companies like H&R Block probably are very corporate. Everything is very well structured. You basically just need to have whatever educational requirement, and then they'll hire you irregardless unless you give like a terrible interview where you're, where you're drooling. And, and, and then you can go to the next level up and you can get a better product from a company that maybe cares a little bit more. And I would equate that to like your uh, H&R Block or something like that might be like your Burger King or McDonald's when it comes to hamburgers. Like they'll hire you, you can make a hamburger, but like the next step up for not much more money is like your regular restaurant where they make you a hamburger. Not, you're not necessarily going to like a high-end steakhouse and getting a $40 hamburger. Yeah, and there are some CPA firms that don't do great work, and there are some CPA firms that do fantastic work. And you got to do your research. I would recommend if you're looking for one of these, talk to people that you know and ask them for recommendations. Word of mouth travels far in the accounting world. Hmm. Yeah, interesting one. Um, so if you were, if I was looking for a new accountant, I'm not looking for an accountant, but if I was looking for a new accountant, um, you think I should just start asking around to my friends or maybe colleagues, other people that have similar business or jobs like I do? Yes. Yeah. Um, find someone that you trust and, and, and ask a couple people. And if you're in the business world, ask other people in, in, in the business world that you know and say, hey, I just moved to this city and I'm looking for a good accountant. Do you know anybody? All right. But you, you're saying shy away from Google, shy away from online reviews. Yeah, I don't think... 
think that online reviews are going to be very reflective of, of a firm's quality um, because people that really like their accountants are unlikely to be leaving positive reviews, but you're going to have, like, the, the firm that I worked at, would, we, I thought we did good work, and we had pretty bad Google reviews, and that was because the only people that were reviewing us were the problem clients that we, like, we fired some clients, and then they left us bad reviews. The reason why we fired the clients was because they couldn't get their shit together. Yeah, I, I am not surprised by that. That's generally how review culture is, which is really a shame that a lot of people can't see through that. But, you know, you have to look at the reviews and, re and really read them and, and maybe understand what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, so, look, what, what, do you have any last-minute tax advice and then maybe some good tax stories or anything you want to share in regards to having prepared a lot of tax returns? Um, it's going to take me a second because, like, Saying, oh, do you have some good tax stories? It's not really a conversation starter. <laughs> well, well, how about how about some good tax advice? What have you seen some people screw up that are some you know common mistakes that somebody shouldn't be screwing up? Well, probably the most common mistakes that I see is people thinking that literally everything they have is deductible. <laughs> it, it's not. No, like probably the best. All right, I've got one tax joke for you. Um, so this was a return. It was a, a doctor, uh, a married doctor. And in her documents that she sent us, um, this was 2020 tax returns. So like coronavirus was a big player in last year's tax returns, as I'm sure it will be for this year as well. But she says, my husband, um, because of coronavirus, my husband didn't work at all last year. Um, can I claim him as a dependent? That sounds reasonable. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. And no, you're married to him. You you don't get to claim him as a dependent. Oh, that's a shame. All right, well. But, yeah. Um, I, the, the, the biggest mistake I see people make is, like, not paying in enough tax when they have income. Like, if you have a W-2, you're probably fine. But I had tons of business owners or people that traded stocks that, would have a lot of taxable income at the end of the year and then be surprised when I told them that they owed $70,000. Yeah, I think I would be pretty surprised too. How do, how do people react to that? Um, some people are like, okay. And other people are like, how is it possible that I owe this much? And then I'd show them the forms and I'd say, this is where it all came from. But not planning ahead. Have an idea as to what your year is looking like. And if necessary, talk to your accountant midway through the year or towards the end of the year and say, hey, here's where I am right now. Is there anything that I should be planning for? And, oh, here's another good one. This is a return. Another doctor had like $650,000 of income and had a really complicated return because he did a charitable conservation trust thing. And those, are the, those require a ton of paperwork because the IRS loves to audit those. So we need to make sure that we send in a ton of paperwork to verify what we're doing because we can be penalized as well as the taxpayer if we screw it up. So we're super careful with this return. And we had to send in like 300 pages of documents along with the tax return as proof. Mm -hmm. And it was too much for us to be able to send electronically because it was just too big of a file. So we had to send it in by mail. And that takes a lot longer to process and so he was due a refund of about $30,000. And he's really angry with us that we paper filed because, now remember, this guy makes $650,000 a year. He's yeah. really angry with us because he was working on a renovation for his house and had, plan had been planning on that refund Ooh. from the IRS for, like, the next payment to the contractor. And it was like, dude, you did not plan at all. Like, one thing is don't ever make any financial plans around your prospective tax refund it might not be as much as you expect if the irs makes adjustments to your return and there's no there's no telling when it will actually come even if you get the number right which most of the time you do but like you don't know it might come in two weeks it might come in three months it might come in a year you can't you should not plan for that money hitting your bank account by a certain date
Well, folks, there there you have it. There you have it from the Bosnator himself. <laughs> uh, don't trust the don't trust the IRS. Well, you can trust to, the IRS. Just well, don't trust them to do it on time. That's when I was just going to say when it comes to filing things on time, do your homework. Uh, and and I think most importantly, the biggest take home would be it's not going to cost you that much more to use an actual tax professional, outside of TurboTax or H and R Block, and getting having an accountant that you can speak to on the phone as a real person who's looking out for you who wants you to hire them again next year it, it, you know is going to get you a lot further than than not doing so and if you haven't already subscribe to this podcast because you can't be sure you're going to catch us live especially if you're on instagram tonight so thank you guys for coming thank you rosh galeb for uh harassing us the, <laughs> about uh about the setup here but yeah. thank you for feeding us the comments james thank you and uh, I'll see you all next time. Adios. All right, we made it this far. I imagine there is a select few that made it through an entire podcast about accounting. But if you made it this far and you do not already subscribe, you are a bad friend. You need to uh, click that subscribe button, throw a comment out there, interact with this podcast in any way, and uh, I'll be thankful. So thank you guys for lasting this long, and uh, I'll see you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.